0: now come to the part of the service where we're going to do our Bible reading. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 6 from verse 3 to verse 6. These are verses that I like to use when we have the joy of a baptismal service as we have this morning. So I'm just going to read these verses to us all. And then after that, I'm going to show you a clip from the most awesome film that's ever been made anyone that knows me knows straight away that that could be polarizing. But you'll find out why in a minute. So Romans 6, beginning at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I'm now going to ask our tech team to play our clip, please.
1: Imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. I know exactly what you mean. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know, you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind.
0: You might see why I said it was a polarizing film now. The Matrix is one of those films I absolutely love for multiple different reasons. I like its philosophy, I like its sci-fi, I like how it draws from so many different spheres of life and gives us a film that 50% of the human race can understand and 50% of the human race have absolutely no idea what it's going on about. But this clip is one that really fascinates me because it's one where... Well, it's one of the key points of the plot. It's where these two characters get together and there's this revelation that there is something wrong with the world. And a lot of people feel it like a splinter in the mind. And I think that touches also on what the Bible says about this world. Not that the Matrix is real, let me just clarify that in case anyone is going to draw that conclusion that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is I think within human beings we at a core level identify with that there is something not quite right with the world that we inhabit and live in and I think in many ways we can see this I think even our whole economy is built on this our economy is built on searching for something capitalism we keep buying ultimately because we're looking for satisfaction something that's going to give us a lasting joy and of course we don't find it so we keep on seeking we can look into our world and we can draw the conclusion that things ain't right you'll only have to switch the news on and listen to some of the stories to draw the conclusion that there is something out of kilter with the world that we live in. I don't know how many people watch the news regularly. Stick your hand up if you watch the news regularly. Yeah, a fair wee amount of people. Well, You will have seen this week, of course, some of these stories, like these three gentlemen down in England and the depraved things they have been organising with young girls. Something is badly out of kilter that people behave in ways such as that. We, of course, see the historical things that have been going on in the recent history of our world, things like ISIS. There's something pretty out of kilter of an organisation that behaves like that. We see people suffering. We see people sick. We see people homeless. We see all sorts going on that I think does tap into that splinter in our minds where we say to ourselves, maybe not to others, something about this just isn't right. This morning, we celebrate baptisms. This morning is a service of great joy. It's so great to see so many folks with us here this morning. In fact, we actually have some founder members here this morning who now stay in Canada with Bob and Sean over here in the corner. Founder members of the church who are here today. As we celebrate these baptisms, we have visitors, friends and family of those being baptised. And we welcome you here this morning. That clip that things are out of kilter could maybe leave you asking the question, well, this world is not one that's ideal in many ways. There are things about this world that unsettle me. Things about this world that I know aren't right. Things that aren't fair. Things that are completely unjust. And you could maybe ask the question, if this is the case, then where on earth is your God in the midst of what is becoming in many ways a disaster zone? Is God even relevant? When we put Facebook on, And we're confronted with stories such as people being beheaded or people being thrown off the top of buildings of some genuinely horrific things that should unsettle every single one of us. Where is God in all of this? That's a fair question, I think, to ask. And I think it's... I want to explain baptism to you. I want to try and explain why baptism exists in the first place. And to do that, we need to hit the rewind button and go back to the start. Now, where is God? God is the creator. He created this world. The whole universe. He orders it. When you look out at night... Who looks up into the sky and is absolutely amazed with what they see for those that aren't putting your hand up you need to get out on a clear night and look up at the sky and you will be amazed at what you see there are hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy and hundreds of billions of galaxies now I can't do the math of how many stars that means there is and this created universe. But there is a lot. And all these galaxies are whizzing around, moving. And yet we've never crashed into one. Which is good, because I dread to see what the effect of that would be. Because God has ordered it. He's created it. And he created this world... And when he looked down at what he'd made in the end, he said it was very good. When God says that, it means things were right. They were balanced. They were as they should be. Humanity was in harmony. So was nature. And we were made self-aware. Now every single one of you this morning, no matter whether you've had enough cups of tea or coffee this morning or not, no matter whether you feel you're about to nod off just now or not, you're all self-aware. Aware of others, aware of creation. Aware of our wants, our needs. Aware of desires that no other creature on this earth is ever going to comprehend. Now I'm pretty sure the next, I don't know, iPhone or iPad that comes out, you're not going to find a dolphin in the queue for it. And the reason being that we will all be in the queue for it, or a lot of people will be in the queue for it, is because these things tap into our desires, our wants. We have that level of consciousness and awareness that other creatures don't have. So God made us, human beings, self-aware, able to choose, able to make moral decisions, right and wrong. If somebody upsets you, you have many choices in how you respond to that. You can bite your tongue and try not to respond. You could have a great comeback and hit them with it. Or you could just simply hit them across the face if you wanted to. Every choice has a consequence. But we make that choice. We weigh things up in our minds and we decide how we're going to respond. Because we're self-aware. We're able to choose. Humanity, in the beginning, chose to reject God. They were given freedom. And ultimately... There was a temptation placed before them, which was to be like God. And they took the bait. We turned away from God and started doing our own thing. And we've continued trying to do that ever since, being like God, deciding what's right, deciding what's wrong. And generally making a bit of a mess of things as we we do that we get some things right which is great but we get some stuff wrong which results in chaos as well the choice to reject God meant that hostility came into creation human beings became hostile to one another it meant creation itself was corrupted and we get insane things like earthquakes and tsunamis and all sorts of other things It means much like in that little clip that we watched at the start from the absolutely awesome film The Matrix. Around us is something that just shouldn't be. Something that knocks everything out of kilter. Something that means that we look into the world and on some level think, this isn't right. As Christians, we call that sin, that which we see. We don't call it the matrix because the matrix is just a film. But sin is real. Sin is what the Bible defines as that which is a breach of how God wants us to live. Something that destroys our relationship with him something that destroys our relationships with one another. And it's all around us, much like that little clip. When we switch our TV on, we are peddled with all sorts of different things, adverts. People pay millions for research in adverts so they can work out how they can appeal to us as effectively as possible. So you watch an advert on television, you think some guy's just knocked us together and (coughs) it pops on your screen. But there's research, or psychology, there's all sorts that goes into this. Even when you go into the supermarket, everything's placed in a certain way so that it's going to catch our eyes so that we're more likely to buy it. Around us is all sorts of temptations which shouldn't be Now I'm not saying going to Tesco and buying stuff is is wrong, because you need food. And it's one of the few places you can buy food in Ellen. But there are many other things that press into us that aren't right. And we call that sin. Now sin is a word you may have heard trumpeted in many different contexts. If you've ever dieted, you might find that something is called a sin when you eat the wrong thing. That's not what I'm talking about. You might have heard it cast in context when Christians are maybe not communicating as well as they ought to. When be, when you will see churches saying, you can't do that, it's sin. You can't do this, it's sin. You can't do that, it's sin. And all we hear is negativity. Sin is real. It's what separates us from God and it's what separates us ultimately from one another as well. It entangles it binds us, it enslaves us it damages us it leads us even to hate one another as well so you might be wondering well this is a bit of a bleak message why have I come to listen to this but there is hope and this is what takes us on this journey towards baptism because the hope is that God didn't quit on his world. Human beings turned their back on God. But God didn't turn his back on human beings. God watched. God planned. And ultimately God did something absolutely remarkable. Who here likes Christmas? That's really a question I thought everyone's hand would go up It. That there is a meaning behind Christmas which is very significant. And this is because a certain person was born in a stable. Can anyone tell me who that person was? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. And now we're tapping into the Christian meaning of Christmas, because the Christian meaning of Christmas is more than the presents, which are good to get, by the way, it's more than the food, which I enjoy eating. It's more than the NAF films, which I'm not so keen on. I hate the fact that Mary Poppins is always on. (laughs) I can't stand that film. It's more than the games that are sometimes fun to play that we get from random relatives. There is a meaning behind it, which is to do with the birth of this baby. And Christians call this the incarnation. The incarnation being that God became flesh. That baby born, Jesus Christ, was God in the flesh. And that's why we call him the Son of God. And he grew up, and he lived, and he taught, and he lived a very different way to those around him. He refused to play the games the way the world did. He resisted power when people tried to thrust it on him. He condemned the self righteous because of their dishonesty he had no time for hypocrites because of their integrity and he came not to be served but to set an example that we serve one another he challenged all the greedy sucking structures that were in place and called people to turn from the wrong ways from sin to God's way way of selflessness. And more than that, he followed through in all his teaching because he was crucified. Now, everyone here will know that Christians have this thing about the cross. You might not necessarily know why Christians have this thing about the cross. We have this thing about the cross because this is called the atonement. When Jesus paid for our sins. And I'm going to try and portray it like this because this is a contemporary example. Supposing. You rack up I don't know, let's let's go wild here and say you rack up two hundred and fifty grand's worth of debt. Debt you can't pay. You couldn't even afford to pay the minimum payment or the interest on this. And you squander this on whatever you wanted, not on investments. And then of course there comes a time when somebody calls calling looking for payment. And you find yourself at some point before the person to whom you owe this debt. Now we could imagine I don't know about you, but if I was being pulled before that person, I would be quite anxious at this point thinking, This meeting isn't gonna go well. I have racked up all this debt and there is no way that I could ever pay him. You might be thinking, Oh, maybe this will be what, a ten year stretch in jail. But whatever it is, my life's not going to be the same when I leave this room. So you get in and you speak with the guy and he makes it crystal clear that this is your responsibility. What have you done? Why have you made the choices that you've made? And as it's drawn to its climax where you think this is a point where I'm well and truly snickered, he says I'm going to waive the debt I'm going to forgive you of all that debt and let you go free. What would you think at that point? You're thinking, oh wow. You'd feel relief. Joy. Life could begin without that cloud hanging over our heads any longer. The truth about sin is that sin is debt. And that's why often if you know the Lord's Prayer from bygone days it will talk about debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because sin doesn't just separate us from God. It makes us like scarlet. It stands out. And the truth is we couldn't pay that debt. Simply not possible. We think often oh, well if my good deeds are more than my bad deeds, then I'm good. We somehow think that this is one account in which we withdraw and which we pay in. It's not. They're two separate accounts. We can't remove the sin. By doing the good. Something else needed to be done which would clear it. And that's what Jesus did. When Jesus lived, he lived a sinless life. He lived it with an intention. The Bible says he set his face towards Jerusalem. And he did that because he knew when he went to Jerusalem. That he would fulfill what he came to do. He would go to that cross. And he would offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. And he did that. He called himself the good shepherd who lays down his life freely. He did that knowing that if he did that, he could make an offer to humanity. And on that offer, Christianity is built. That anyone that believes and trusts in Jesus Christ is forgiven of their sins. Not because we're good people or worthy or perfect. Not because we're going to be good people, worthy and perfect in 10, 15 years time. But because God loves each and every person. Each and every person sat here this morning. God loves you. And makes that offer. Not because we deserve it. But because he loves us. That offer is extended to every single person. Trust him and be free of that sin. doesn't mean we'll be perfect. But it means that that debt is gone and it also means that when we trust him we then join him in his radical way of living we live not according to the ways of the world any longer but a ways, according to the ways of this kingdom that Jesus set up and in his kingdom we've got to do the things he did so we reject the power plays of the world we reject or do our best to reject selfishness and hate and of forgiveness and judgment and all these other things that Jesus stood for and this is all demonstrated powerfully by this act of baptism which we see this morning for when we are baptized we are saying two things one, in fact we're saying three things one we're saying Jesus Christ has done something in me That debt is gone. This represents me me being forgiven and cleansed. It represents us dying to the old ways and rising to the new ways. It represents us saying to everyone around us that we're living with Jesus Christ as our Lord. We're going to obey him and his teachings. And that's what these verses that I've read to us this morning highlight so powerfully. That we die, we share in his death and that's what the going back is. Then we rise again and we share in the newness of life and that's what we rise to. I believe baptism is a radical act. It's a historically dangerous act. Back when Christianity started, if you were baptised, you were saying, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is. Now if anyone who knows a little about the Roman Empire would know that's not something they're going to take all that kindly. But it was a public act of defiance against all that was around them. And it remains that today. We don't have a Caesar who's going to come with a sword. But we have powers around us that pull on us. That try to make us do various different things that we know we ought not to do. And what we're saying when we're baptised is we're not going that way. We're walking instead the path that Jesus Christ walked and calls each and every one of his followers to walk as well. It's a radical act. It's saying, this is what I am doing. I am following Jesus Christ. And that's why it is such a joyous occasion. Because this morning, as Declan and Megan and Esther are baptised, that's what they're telling us. They're following Jesus Christ, living according to his kingdom and turning from that in the world. Now I know I'm not actually